Hi, I'm Hilary Johnson from the Victorian Committee of the Australasian Society for Intellectual Disability. For our first podcast, we'd like to welcome Susan Buell. Susan Buell's first degree was as a Master of Arts at Edinburgh University. Um, Shortly after that, she trained as a speech pathologist and worked for several years in mainstream schools, providing support to children with a range of disabilities. In 1997, she went to Bolivia, working in schools and providing training as a speech pathologist, but also doing research fieldwork. From 2005, she's been lecturing in speech and language therapy in the UK and also completed a master's degree in international development studies. She has just finished her PhD entitled An Investigation into the Linguistic Properties of Easy Read Literature and its Contribution to the Construction of Meaning for People with Intellectual Disability. Currently, she is lecturing in speech pathology at the University of East Anglia. Susan has won numerous awards for her teaching and I'm sure you'll enjoy her presentation today entitled I Can't Always Read and It Isn't Always Easy. What makes written information easier to understand for people with an intellectual disability? I've had a really fantastic time in Australia. It's my first ever visit. I feel a little bit embarrassed about saying that because my best friend from primary school lives in Sydney. I don't see her very often and she's followed me all around the world to wherever I've lived and visited me there so it was high time I came to Australia. I'm also quite excited because there's a room 101 round the corner. I went to the loo- do you have room 101 the television program? No. Well, I'm going to go home and say I was in this university building and I went to the loo and there was room 101. It's a TV show where a, a panel of celebrities sits and they tell the the um, chairperson what they want to throw away in room 101. So it can be things like queuing or um, um, marmite or anything at all that they think should be thrown away in room 101 and never seen again. So I'm, everybody will be quite delighted to hear that I gave my talk about my PhD before my viva through the door from room 101. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about that, but I am delighted to be here and to be invited. The title of this, It Isn't Always Easy and I Can't Always Read It, uh, came because one of the people in this group that I was working with, looking at, we call easy easy English documents in the UK, in in England, easy read. And um, one of these gentlemen just looked at it and he said, well, I don't know why they call it easy read, because it isn't always read easy and I can't always read it. And it just stuck in my head. And I thought that's, that's quite a good um, thing for me to remember when I'm trying to put easy read documents together. If somebody can't read it and it isn't easy, then what is it I'm trying to do for them? So what I hope to do today is to talk to you a little bit about what my PhD was about, but I also will talk a little bit about what the participants in my study and what other groups that were related to the study said about easy read information when I talked to them about it. Most of the people I talked to had had a lot of experience with easy read documents, which was why they, were, why they offered to come along really and talk to me. 
Uh, and these varied from information about going to the doctor, information about upcoming theatre productions, health topics, giving consent for research, um, or giving consent to medical procedures and other things. News articles, which I found pinned on walls in different resource centres, but nobody was actually reading them, which was the interesting thing. Nobody could tell me anything about the news, but they were all there and they were changed every week. And that was a, and a company, I think, had got money to print the news every week on the internet and they would copy it off the internet, stick it on the wall. Recipes, exercising, going for a run, healthy living, that kind of thing. Different health procedures I've already mentioned. Found one on moving house. And I'm sure you can all think of many more. There's a email list that I'm on in the UK and every week people ask, has anybody got an easy read document about what it's like for, I don't know, something really obscure, for example, training a kitten to use a tray. You know, it will, quite often it's something very, very specific. And these requests come up all the time. So there's lots of different types of easy read documentation. And there are also, in the UK, available lots of different guidelines. So the, the Department of Health has, has guidelines. There are European guidelines. MENCAP, which is a, a learning disability organisation in the UK, has guidelines. And then Scotland has guidelines. Wales has guidelines. Ireland has guidelines. And I think England just has to make do with whatever MENCAP has got for them. The Welsh, you might be interested to know, have sections on the whole process. So they talk, they talk about thinking, planning, doing, checking, changing, and finding out more. And that's their process for production. Quite like that one. That was thinking, planning, doing, checking, changing, finding out more. And they do it in two languages. So everything is in Welsh and in English. And all of their documents have this kind of upside down thing where everything is in English on one side and then you turn it upside down, it's, on, it's in Welsh on the other. So you can choose your language. So those of you who think we've got it hard doing it in English, I think maybe we should visit Wales and see how, how they get on trying to do it in both languages. All of their easy read. So what were people saying to me about this? What they said was it took a very, very long time to make good, useful, easy read material took a long, long time. Some of them talked about how expensive it was to ask professional organizations to do it, so they were just doing it by themselves. But also how difficult it was to agree in groups about the best way to put things down. And that seemed to be quite a big sticking point, actually, for teams of people with and without intellectual disabilities. So it was kind of across the board. So even if just a group of people who didn't have intellectual disabilities were trying to decide, it was still causing problems. People weren't very sure. I talked to about five advocacy groups about Easy Read material. All of them said it was really good. Having Easy Read material was a good thing. Except for one, they didn't like having pictures. And so this is a little group in the top of Norfolk, I don't know, I'm from England, but it, it, 
it's above England, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere really, and nobody really goes there very often. But they, and they've kind of got a bit of a reputation, this advocacy group, but I quite liked that. And I went to visit them because they were different and they didn't want pictures. They wanted to be the same as everybody else in the management groups they were in, on the committees that they were in. They wanted the same pieces of paper that everybody else had. So what they had done was they set up a system of readers. So there were people in the community or people that they knew who identified readers and they could, once they got their document, they were allowed to approach up to three readers to help them go through the information and explain it to them. And then I suppose they could kind of take the best of the three you know, three different people are going to explain things in, a, in, a, in quite a different way, depending on their own knowledge and ability. And in research terms, I'd I suppose you'd call it triangulating your data. So you're going from one person to the next to the next, and then you're kind of looking at the consensus agreement across the three. I don't know if they did that, but they certainly went round the readers. And uh, that's why the, they kind of had to stick at three maximum, because they might have kept going and then it could have become quite confusing. But anyway, so that was an option that they had opted out of having any easy read information with pictures on it. Some groups liked photos, others liked photo symbols and drawings. One group liked to draw their own pictures. So that was an interesting kind of development. And it didn't always work too well, but they knew what their own drawings were and that did work. And actually, the, their own pictures worked very effectively for themselves. And that was done with a group who were trying to work on medication. So they were trying to decide on whether they should take their medication or not. And in order to do that, to work through those ideas and the concepts of side effects, etc., etc., they had drawn, made up their own books with their own pictures in them. That worked very well. They all said that they wanted different things from easy read information and then i did a little experiment without telling them what i was doing i went in one day to these resource centers and i just handed out easy read information to people and would you like this i told them what it was about it was about healthy eating would they like one and these were just some of the responses that people gave me some people just flicked through it quickly they didn't really want to talk to me about it. Others wanted to talk about the pictures with me. Some people wanted to sit down with me and read it all through. Other people put it away and said they would maybe look at it later with me or next week. Other people said they would just keep it and show somebody at home. You know, it's that sort of, if you get given a leaflet in the street, what do you do with it? There was a little bit more than that because I was in their space and I was telling them what the leaflet was there to tell them about. They don't always get read. I didn't get that feeling that they were always read. Some people didn't want them. Some people didn't want them at all. Sometimes pictures helped and sometimes they didn't. One group had a lot of difficulty interpreting pictures in, in a document about research. And I think that's because most of them were highly abstract. I mean, it's very difficult to have one picture that means research, just like it's very difficult for something like citizenship or advocacy or even meeting. These are all quite difficult concepts to put one picture to. It was difficult to find relevant pictures that everybody would understand. Um, and one of the most important messages was 
that one size doesn't fit all. But unfortunately in the UK at the moment, there seems to be a drive for trying to get that one size fits all. I think some people would like to be able to say, this is what we do and this is how we do it, and this works. And my idea of this research really came about because I was thinking, well, is that possible? Is that really possible? Can we do that? Can we have a, a formula for easy read? If we could, that would be, wouldn't that be amazing? If we could have a formula for easy read, material, easy English, would just be great. Everybody in the whole world could use it and it would be sorted. We might have to find some new jobs for people, but apart from that, it would be really useful. The problem was, it didn't kind of work that way because they wanted to be able to choose pictures and photos that made sense to them, even if they didn't make sense to anybody else in the group. So already we were kind of up against it. I started thinking, no, this isn't, we need to find out a little bit more about what's going on. If I write something in English and you're able to pick out two key items from that line, if I put, if, if I write a sentence underneath and you can only recognise three words, well, is bus stop one word or two? Okay, you can recognise three words. You can recognise bus stop and you can recognise hospital. What might that help you? What might then you say about that picture? You could get closer, couldn't you, to the meaning? Okay. So already here we're there, we're almost there, but we've got the kind of general area, but we still haven't got the specifics of that. And that was one of the problems that I came across with lots of the pictures and photographs that I was using with people. And one of the ones that made me made me laugh every time was a photograph of somebody on a bus holding a ticket and nobody could ever work out whether they had just bought the ticket or whether they were giving the driver the ticket whether the driver had given them the ticket the whole document was about was about using public transport so it's really really important to know what that picture was about and whether or not the person was receiving a ticket or giving a ticket but because they were just holding it there was no way of knowing so it's difficult to be able to pinpoint a picture unless you've got some other information alongside it. And that is the bus that goes to the hospital. And it doesn't always rain at that bus stop. And there has been quite a lot of research, I will say, about pictures. That's just my little exercise for you to be super aware of them and why. We looked at this easy read information in groups and also I had one-to-one -one meetings with people and some of them just took one look at it and said, well, it's boring, it's like school, it was too difficult and it wasn't interesting. And I think that, is part, that could be partly to do with the association with reading that comes through and they're going back into school and they're thinking, this is reading, it's boring, it's not what I want to be doing. So I'm all for changing the word easy read to something else in the UK. I like easy English, I think that's really a healthier representation of what it is. I won't be able to change it. I think easy read. The term is probably stuck, but I think even people who just look at something and see that it requires reading often opt out just because the reading is the stumbling block. So it's not really surprising to discover that if the information is interesting to someone, they'll be more motivated to read it and they might also understand it better. And if it's too, too much like hard work, 
they weren't going to keep their attention on it long enough even to read it, let alone understand it. And I'd just like to remind people that reading something and understanding something are two different things. Recently in the UK, we have legislation to say that everybody needs to make reasonable adjustment to information. And that's meaning that there's a huge growth of easy read material now being published. And the barriers that people face are often they have difficulty reading and understanding written information. They sometimes find it a barrier understanding the actual language that's being used, which is separate to being able to read something. So in that sense that somebody perhaps can read all the information but go away not have any idea what it, what it says. And they might be very, very good at reading and they might have gone through all the way through school being very good at reading but actually can't understand any of it. And the other thing is knowing how the information fits into the bigger picture and what the personal implications are. I was talking about this at lunchtime and I'm really referring there to, for example, that hospital and the, the bus that goes to the hospital. If somebody's already been on that bus and gone to the hospital with me, then that picture's going to make a whole lot more sense than it does to you, even although I've told you that the bus goes to the hospital from that stop because you'll have been on the bus with me and gone and you probably stood at that stop and you might have been with me, I might have had the picture and shown, you, shown it to you at the same time, even better. But I think making those links for people is really, really important. So my question was, oh, these are just people that create it in the UK, everybody basically, everybody's doing it, except me, I've stopped doing easy read material for a little while. But what we wanted to know, or what I wanted to know was, does using easy read information in health reduce people's risks? So if somebody has diabetes and they get an information leaflet about their health, about how to use their insulin, how, is that helping them really? Is that reducing their risks to over-medicating, under-medicating, getting their insulin wrong, right? How helpful is that piece of information to them? Uh, or are they still completely relying on the nurse anyway? Does it serve, what purpose does it really serve? And what's the evidence for that? So I set about trying to find out what, the, what parts of the process were successful and how they, they worked. And I apologise to the people that have heard me deliver this several times already. But the next bit's very much the same. It's, I'm going to go through very briefly the four studies that I did in my PhD project. I used only information that was published by the UK Department of Health. First of all, found all of the Easy Read documents they had on their website and all of their matched non-Easy Read versions. And I compared them and I compared all the different features that they used. The kind of language, the size and style of fonts, space, pictures. Space is very interesting actually because it's, um, there's active and passive white space and sometimes if you use too much passive white space the person can get lost between one thing and the next. So using white space, people say use more white space but actually it doesn't always help because sometimes if you're left with half a page of white space you think it's finished, the document's finished and I've only done that because I ran out of space for my picture that I have to put with the next bit and then but the person thinks it's finished and that's it closed end of there's a lot of 
fine lines, isn't there, to be considered when we do easy read material. So anyway, I had a look at the different features that people used. Then I looked at, I did a linguistic analysis to see what happens to language when we simplify it. And then I had a look at what happens to the kind of balance of power in language when we simplify it and the relationships. And then I did a, an experiment with some participants to see whether or not easy read material along with an explanation help them understand information. So the first survey, uh, what I found was that the language used was simpler. So a big tick there, that was great. Everybody's using simpler language on the surface. They used bigger fonts. They didn't use fancy styles. They did use more white space. They used more color in pictures and text. They used more images, more photos and pictures. And the only thing that they were the same on was that they both used the same number of bullet points in non-easy read and easy read versions. And they all used lots of headings and subheadings. So what did this tell me, really? What's the added value? It did show that there were clear differences. It showed that there was a wide variety of interpretations. None of them were the same. There was no standard. There's no universal. There was in the non-easy read ones. The non-easy read ones were very standard. So the Department of Health had really got their non-easy read versions sussed, but they didn't seem to have a system for doing easy read. So they were different but we don't really know why they were so variable. And maybe they were responding to the different levels of ability in the people who were reading them. Maybe it just showed, I mean, if every single one of us today was to sit here and write a little document about going to the dentist, they would all look completely different, wouldn't they? And we'd all use different language and we'd all put in different pictures. And I just think maybe that's it. There's lots of different groups doing trying to do the same thing and doing it differently. So, you know, that's all I can really say about the survey. In the second study, I found that sentences were shorter. I analysed this linguistically with a big software system, automated computer software system, texts from both the easy read and the non-easy read versions. And we found that, great, another big tick, the sentences were shorter and used shorter words. The words were more familiar, they were, more, they were less abstract, they were more easy to visualise. The grammar was simpler, simpler, the range of vocabulary was more limited, so there were less words being used. Um, but more repetition of words happened. They used less joining words. And the number of repeated ideas or meanings were the same in both which was also interesting because it seemed to me as if we were trying to, get uh, trying to get to the same information but in a slightly different way that wasn't so effective because if you repeat something all the time and if I repeat something several times and if I keep on repeating the same thing over and over again and if I repeated it again and then if I repeated it again and maybe if I then said to you that I was going to repeat it you would forget what I was talking about. And I think that's what happens in easy read documents sometimes. 
when things are repeated too much, they start to lose meaning and it starts to limit the kind of content that we can put in and it also takes away any flow or some of the flow in what we're saying and it stops people in their tracks and they forget. So it's trying to keep people, people's interest sparked I think as well when you're putting together an easy read document. So the overall structure of the information can be affected. It can lose the flow without a beginning, a middle, and end. And sometimes very ambiguous words can lose meaning. So we use, in the easy read versions, the word people was used an awful lot. And in the non-easy read versions, they would talk about brothers and sisters, families, teachers, your social worker, people. That's very, who are they? Things was the other one that Hillary mentioned. Things come up quite a lot. And I think things could mean anything, couldn't it? So things, anything, everything, a lot of those kinds of words were used. Money. So instead of saying, using words like finance, benefits, allowance, money, all of those would just be covered by money. So you're reducing a little bit the nuances of what you can say. And sometimes that might be a sacrifice you have to make, but it also means that you're removing some information because there's a difference between an allowance and just money, isn't there? There's, there's a, a meaningful difference between those two concepts. So that was what I found when I did the analysis of the language. And then I came along and did an analysis of what's called discourse. And to do this, I looked at five different documents and I tried to analyse, also using a kind of linguistics, a linguistic framework, but what, what I was looking at was how the authors have talked about the people, the places and the events in the Easy Read versions and how they talked about people, places and events in the non-Easy Read versions. And I looked at how the author spoke to the reader in both. And I looked at how the text was structured. So how did it refer back to things that it already talked about? And was that clear? Or was it just a repetition, like I just shown you just now? And the reason I looked at these three uh, elements was because that was the discourse analysis I was using. But, it's, but what it can show is whether or not there are power relationships embedded into documents that we might not be aware are there, but we can feel them when we read them. So it's kind of the undercurrent underneath what's underlying that document. What I haven't done was give you a very clear example of this because I didn't want to take up people's time. If we have time at the end, and if you want to, I can find an example and I can show exactly what I mean um, and what, how this works. What happened when I checked this was that there were big, big power differentials in the Easy Read version. So all of the Easy Read versions were written in a way that let the author have all the power and the reader have very, very little power. So it was all, we will choose how you can spend your money. And in the non-Easy Read version, they were saying, we will choose it, we will discuss it together. So that's a very 
It's, it's a very subtle difference, but it was very clear in all five documents. Can I just ask you that? Yeah. Because uh, it's such an important point that mm. about, you know, we're meant to be writing information to empower people in actual fact was a deep Is it about, um, so if they're saying, you know, when it was, the first one was about we can discuss it together. Mm. Why would it be we make the choice and not you make the choice? Partly it was because of, I think, the topic in the particular document I have in mind, because what they were talking about was personal payments. So in the UK now, government, the government is giving money directly to people with intellectual disabilities, and they decide what they want to spend the money on. So this is the document that I have in mind, and in the document that was non-easy read, they were saying, we can discuss together with you how you would like to spend the money. And in the easy read version it says, if you want to spend the money on this, we will tell you if you can. So, you know, that's a really strong difference there, isn't it? And it just sounds very directive. And earlier on, I had mentioned to Hillary in that maybe that's how it really is. So maybe the people that are writing the documents for people with intellectual disabilities are just writing what's happening. We are telling them what they want to spend their money on. And so that's what we're putting in this document. And I don't know if that's the case, but it was, it was interesting. I thought, well, yes, actually. And then I started thinking, well, we need to change that because if we can change the way we write the Easy Read document, Maybe we can change attitudes by the way we write these documents. And we need to get people to start thinking about people with intellectual disabilities being able to discuss with us about their finances and make a joint decision so that it doesn't rely on me, the government, deciding or, or if you want to spend the money on going to I don't know, Japan on holiday, we will decide whether or not you can. It just doesn't, you know, where's that coming from? I don't really understand how that works when the other document is so very in inclusive. The final study was with 60 participants who were all really keen to be involved. And I had, I think I was one of the few PhD students that I had all my participants really quickly because I think it was so unthreatening, actually, and they all really enjoyed it and they wanted to be involved. And also I spent a lot of time drinking tea in all the resource centres that I went to and uh, just being everybody's best friend. And still am, which is really lovely. I can go back in now and drink more tea with them. But they were fantastic. And I designed with a small group of them texts for them to read not for them to read, for my participants to read, but a small group sat with me and we designed texts about healthy eating and questions which were devised in a way that would target different types of understanding, so literal information right through to inferencing, so being able to say, right, the, the x-ray machine comes on a Tuesday, that means I need to go to Tesco's, the supermarket, on a Tuesday for my mammogram because 
the machine comes on a Tuesday, that kind of inferencing. So not really huge leaps, but quite a big leap. And there were eight questions. And I had two different sorts of easy read material, one that was easy, easy, and one that was less easy. Linguistically, these were all quite well managed. I put them through the software where they analyzed the other stuff. Basically, I had four different conditions and 15 people were allocated to each condition. So everybody in group one had a linguistically simple text and I gave them an explanation about the text. Group two had the linguistically complex text and they didn't get any help with understanding it from me, no explanation. Group three had a linguistically simple text and didn't get any help. And group four had linguistically complex text and didn't get help. Sorry, I said that wrong, didn't I? You heard me say that wrong. Yes, I'm just checking to see if you're awake. I can see some people notice. Okay, so basically that was the, that was the way it was structured, the study. And the support that I gave people was intended to be the kind of support that somebody might receive if they'd gone into the doctor's surgery, met a practice nurse who they never knew before, had never met before, she didn't really know much about them, the person with intellectual disabilities might not know very much about the nurse, but they sat down together and she explained this document to them. So, nothing much more than that. And for purposes of this task, I kept it more or less similar for all the participants, except if a participant asked me anything or wanted clarification for anything or wanted help with the reading and they were in the support group, I would give that to them. But it had to be initiated by them. And I, the, it, one of the interesting things about this, I thought, yeah, they're going to ask me. I'm going to get lots of chat here and we're going to get nobody asked me anything. That wasn't a mile away from what my clinical practice is. So I don't know why I thought that because I was doing this wonderful research that they would all be desperate to talk to me about what this document was. I don't know why I thought that. So I, I realized afterwards that I don't know where my head was. But anyway, nobody really asked me anything. They just wanted me to tell them. So that was the experimental study. And did text or support make any difference? No. However, the thing that did make a difference for people and the most important factor in determining how much and whether they could understand the information, whether it was linguistically simple, was their level of comprehension of language. So how good they were understanding spoken language. And that really, when you think about it, ties in very neatly because people that have good levels of vocabulary are scientifically known and shown to have better levels of reading and reading comprehension. So it all kind of fit together when I, I got over the shock of not having any results that I thought would be useful. I actually ended up getting a result that was really key and does for me make a whole lot of sense because it answers a lot of questions about why I felt as if Easy Read was just ticking a box but wasn't doing the underneath stuff. So it's like putting a sticking plaster on top of a, 
a big wound, you know, it's not really going to help. It might need stitches, it might need something else, it, it might need something to heal underneath. It's not really going to make very much difference unless the person has a certain level of ability to understand concepts. Yeah. I wondered about your choice of topic about healthy eating. Yeah. If anyone in Australia, you're constantly bombarded with that messages with yeah. that junk food and yeah. being overweight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like diabetes or something. Yeah. I'm quite glad you asked that question. I chose easy. I chose the the healthy eating because everybody had a life experience of it. I wanted to get something that would be a leveler, so that I wasn't testing somebody who might have been to the zoo last week and seen penguins with somebody who'd never been to a zoo and never seen a penguin, just to make an example. No, that's not a health example. Um, I wanted something that was going to be, it was kind of to make the experiment as, as level as possible. It meant I knew that everybody had healthy eating. They had healthy eating in the classroom, at school, they get healthy at home. The doctors always tell me healthy eating, healthy eating, carers, healthy eating, it's all in the air, isn't it? They're, they can almost patter it off. But what happened was my questions were, they had to be answered from the text that they had just looked at. So unless they were using pictures from the text or words from the text, then they didn't get any points for those answers. They got some points, but they didn't get three. So they could get zero, one, two, or three for their answers. And if, they, if I said to them, what kind of things in this leaflet does this leaflet say, well, they knew that was meaning the leaflet, because we've been through that. Um, what sort of things are bad for you to eat? Um, if they said, oh, fizzy drinks and fizzy drinks and flaffles, and I really shouldn't eat anything deep fried. And in the document, it talks about chips and too much sugar, too much salt, too much fat they might get one point because they've talked about something deep fried. So they can kind of get it. But it wasn't semantically related enough to what was in the text. And I worried a little bit about how that would work, but actually some people, the people who could read and understand really well were straight in there. What's not good for you to eat? Oh, too much salt, too much fat, too much sugar. Because they just read it and they could understand the document. So I do think it would be really interesting to do it again with something a little bit more obtuse, maybe that wouldn't be an experience that everybody had every day, and to see how that panned out. Yeah, whether or not I would get the same null result as I did, um, or whether I wouldn't. And I, I have a feeling I, I would get the same result. Um, but the difficulty would be choosing something which some people did have a cognitive level of understanding of. So if I chose something that was so far removed from their understanding, I might just get not even the language tick box there. Yeah. So my kind of summing up now, you'll be pleased to know. I kind of drew all of these four studies together and decided that really what I needed to pull out of them was the idea that we make sense, how do we make sense of information? And the way we all make sense of information is 
through our own individual language capacity um, because that's what directs me to construct understanding and meaning out of the things I'm aware of and I know about. So if I learn a new word, I need to latch it onto something and I need to fix it into context and it's also quite good if I can have an experience of it. For example, food. If somebody tells, asks you if you've tried a certain kind of food and you've never even heard that word before and you don't really have a picture of it in your head, thinking, oh, breadfruit, for example, I have never tried and I can't, I have seen a picture of it, but I'm not, I wouldn't bank on it. I couldn't pick one out in the supermarket and don't think I've ever tasted one. But if you were to give me one now, I wouldn't be saying this in the next talk because I would know exactly what breadfruit was and I would have tasted it. So I built that, the meaning of what breadfruit is, I would build that out of what's, what information is available to me. At this moment in time, no information is available to me about breadfruit. I'm sure some of you could ex explain. That would help. An explanation would help. A picture would help. A taste would be even better. So those are all really basic learning processes that we go through. And I'm probably not talking rocket science to anybody here, because we all know that if we read it, we know it. If we see it, if, what is that? Read it, see it, do it thing. Um, Discover yeah. Then you can learn it and you know it. So I think expecting people to understand something just through easy read text might work. But if you've also got an explanation, that works better. If you can check back and summarize, that helps even more. If you can attach information to experience, better again. And if the person feels they've actually learned something from it, then I think that's, that's really the optimum level. Because then they'll remember it and they'll be able to come back to it. So what does this mean for creating accessible information? And I don't have all the answers. I keep saying I don't have the answers. I might sound like I do. I do have some opinions, but that's what they are. And they're my opinions, and they're based on what my research has shown me. But I think it does serve easy read, easy English. It does serve a function. It's not going to go away. There's a lot of industrious effort and thoughtful effort that goes into preparing it. But we do need to get it right. And we need to get it right in lots of different ways. So we need to get the, the, the language right. Maybe it's checking how repetitive a document is. We need to get the structure maybe right. We certainly need to pay more attention to how much power we're putting into that underlying meaning of language. And maybe we need to start using a bigger variety of words if we think we can teach people or if we are in a position to have the time and energy and space to be able to teach people what those words mean, why can't they just learn a new word? You know, we don't need to keep avoiding big words if we're able to teach people what they mean. And just to end with, one researcher I read who does a lot of work on public health documents used likability, readability, usability and learnability as her kind of checklist of things. And all of these have different definitions, probably, but I quite like the ability bit at the end. And questioning to myself, do I like it? Can I read it? Can I understand it? Can I apply it? And can I learn something from it?
And I think that's all I have. So thank you all for listening. And I hope that's maybe sparked some thought processes for you about Easy English, how you maybe would approach it. Um, and if you've got any good ideas for me, I'm very happy to hear them. Thanks, Hilary. If you'd like some further information, please go to our webpage. It's on www.asid.asn.au. When you're on our webpage, you can join us on Facebook and Twitter. Why don't you stay tuned for the question and answer section? One of the first things, that, uh, just the last thing I scribbled down is maybe we shouldn't be doing so much easy read, maybe we need to be making videos. So I currently run a, a national peak body, but I used to run an advocacy organisation in Tasmania, which the members of which are people with intellectual disability. So did lots and lots of monthly self-advocacy group meetings with 30 or so people with intellectual disability and, and, we, and an annual conference. Did a whole lot of this kind of work, trying to produce easy read material, trying to find it and, and test it with people. And we did a workshop once at one of the conferences where we tried to test, you know, you, photo symbols and the different things that were currently being used, you know, Sculpt at the time were using those, I've forgotten the name of them. Still though. using them. Yeah. Proxy communications. Yeah. So right. different people use different things. We did, we got a group of people, tried to test them. All we proved was that different people loved it, liked different things. So anyway, um, but what I noticed over all that time was quite a lot of the members with intellectual disability couldn't read anything, couldn't actually pick up a piece of paper and read anything. However, they could use the internet. They could, um, they could uh, do online gambling, for instance. They could do, and we're getting into trouble with online gambling as an example. Uh, they loved Home and Away. I don't know if you know Home and Away in the UK, but anyway, they were obsessed with it, some of them. And what, I, what we noticed was a lot of um, of those businesses that are aimed, not aimed at people with intellectual disability, they're producing, they're marketing advertising agencies, they use symbols, they don't use many words at all actually, they, they use bright, colourful, sparkly stuff, pictures, stuff that'll grab your attention, um, they, they've, hired, they've kind of gone away from using English at all, almost words, you know, written words, um, and it's, so like the world has moved on and there we are trying to produce these 22-page documents, you know, to, that, that we expect someone to sit down and read. And so that, that's one thing. And the other thing is, um, going back to the stuff about, so Department of Social Services here, as an example, produced, you know, easy read consultation things. So there's been a, um, there is currently a review of the National Disability Advocacy Program. They have, of course, produced an easy read version of the consultation. And one organisation, the one I used to run, has done one, an easy read submission. Um, and nobody else has even downloaded it, I'm sure. So, um, but the department, when they f did the first translation of it, it was pathetic, unreadable, unusable, and we gave them some input and they improved it eventually. And what, because what, what I tried to get through to them is, it's not about translating their other document, it's about them trying to think, what is it they want to know from people with intellectual disability? That they, they, by definition, they're not going to understand the full consultation document, but there are there's useful input they could give if they were asked the right questions, and they're not they don't they don't think to ask them the right questions or to or to organise the focus groups or whatever it is, and or to use the right intermediaries to. 
because because nobody that there's there's like a missing link and the missing link is the intermediaries it's the advocates and the support workers and the family members how do you get the information to them and persuade them that this is important and that they should spend some time to do it so i I, I, I despair a lot of the time about how to make any of this better um, because just producing the stuff is not a, enough by itself and it's so that's only a little tiny bit of it and we, we need to get somehow more effort on the intermediaries and then you know get getting the material to be used by people. I think you're absolutely right I think videoing is a really fantastic way to go I think um, <clears throat> it might still be, there might still be barriers for people because if they can't understand the concepts, you can't then res be responsive to, the, uh, to having a discussion about it. But I, I was speaking to a colleague at um, IACID who also is doing research on easy read information, and she is going to be analyzing um, the production meetings, co-production meetings, analyzing the dynamics in those meetings to see how co-production happens and how things are put together. Anyway, this is a convoluted way of saying that she did all her consent forms through videoing. So she videoed herself explaining the project and what she was going to do and how she was going to do it. And then there was a little film of what happened, what's going to happen, you come into the waiting room, the picture of a waiting room, and then people went through the door, and it was the actual door they would be going through, and then they sat in the doctor's chair, and then they talked to the doctor, and all that was filmed, so that the, the participants knew and could see the real life event happening there, and then, and she didn't have, Actually, has she, she has used it, I think. Did you see the video? Yeah, yeah. she's already used it, hasn't she? Yeah. She didn't say whether it was more or less effective than uh, a written consent form. But when I looked at it, I just thought, oh, I really wish I'd done that. Because it would have saved me trying to find 60 different ways of explaining the same thing. Um, because she was showing them something. So I think videoing a person speaking is one thing. But actually videoing what's going to happen is a really good way of doing it. And the second um, issue you were talking about, we need to get to the mediators. Absolutely. I think, and we were discussing that too, weren't we? That was something else that has come up. They're going to be really key people because that's the interface for the language, for, uh, for, for tackling the language level. So if the intermediary can, can communicate with the person on their la level, on the level of language that they are able to understand, then you've gotten in there, haven't you? And I think that is a really difficult thing to do if you're not aware of language and you don't know the person very well and you don't know how they communicate. So I think absolutely, you're right. We need to get to the mediators in order to make our easy read material worthwhile, be it, or our accessible material, be it an audio or a video or a, a piece of paper, we still need the mediators to know how to do it. We both work for the Disability Services Commissioner and we do what we call plain English documents and um, circulate them quite widely and, and there's an expectation that services use these as resources um, to explain to clients how they can make a complaint about their service. Um, one of the publications we do is a, a quarterly newsletter and what we try and do is, is describe um, a, a very small part of our process 
and then provide a story. So we create a character um, and explain their journey and how that process worked for them. And so my question is, in, in your research, did you, did you come by any um, uh, information that would use storytelling as a way of um, explaining a process? I'm quite a big fan of storytelling, but I don't know whether that's because of my background. I've used social stories a lot with, with children on the autistic spectrum with good success. I think we tell stories all the time, every day to each other. It's just part of, isn't it, everyday communication. I like the way most of them have, uh, you know, you've always got something to tell in a story. So there's always a kind of climax to the story at some point. Something happens, doesn't it? Otherwise you wouldn't be telling the story. Um, so, I mean, Nicola Grove is the person for me that's done the most research into story sharing and storytelling. And she's got a company called, is it called Story Sharing? Storytellers, story Storytellers. Yes, yeah. And um, my supervisor actually is just about to start a storytellers group in Norfolk now because she's so taken with it. But one of the things that Nicola talks about is that making things relevant for people. So that we were taking whatever is relevant for us out of the information that's given to us. And um, one of the things that storytellers does, they, don't, they tell stories, but also what their idea is, is for the person themselves to build their own story and share it with other people. So it's, it's not quite the same as gaining information or being given information. But I can see it's very closely related, and I, do, I would like to see it being used more. I think for some people, it might not be great for everybody, but um, I do really like the idea of stories. I love telling stories, you see, so I think, I think everybody else should, and not everybody does, but I think it's a really useful tool. Hi, um, I work for the Continents Foundation and um, we've, we've recently done some um, Easy English with, um, with Scope. Um, but I'm, in Australia, we've got almost half of the people have low functioning literacy in English. And a lot of those people are not, uh, have no intellectual disability. There's just a whole lot of reasons why they, they have, um, are not able to read English. We have obviously a lot of called. Um, people, but also just people who have missed schooling and, and various things. Um, so we've really tried to make our documents having have a wider appeal. Uh, so we've really tried to uh, avoid um, particularly using photographs because there's, um, if you've got photographs of people with who obviously have a disability, that sort of really pigeonholes that. Mm. Um, what's your sort of opinion about, do you think, I'm, I'm worried we end up being nothing to nobody when we're trying to be everything to everybody. Um, what do you think about that? Have, I know that you know this is about you know people writing for people with intellectual disability, but obviously we're trying to you know cover more bases. There have been people in the UK that have it has come up this idea of well we need to make something that everybody can use. So why don't we just, instead of doing something specially for people with intellectual disabilities, why don't we just make that one the one we all use? You know, so it's kind of, why don't we flip it on its head? Why don't we all just use the Easy Read version, for example? 
And then people come out and say, oh, well, we can't possibly do that because, oh, dear, it hasn't got enough information in it. And, oh, well, you know, we need more information. I mean, and all of a sudden, people start talking about what the Easy Read version doesn't have. And they don't want it. They want the actual version. I don't think universal standards exist. We certainly have the problem about uh, resistance from health professionals who think this whole thing is dumbing down information, yeah. which really annoys me <laughs> um, because I just think that, um, you know, there is a real skill in being able to explain a difficult concept but in a way that anybody can understand it. And I know that that's a big push now with science and it really needs to be a big push in, in medicine that people like, because health literacy is so... Um, you've probably got 60% of people have low health literacy. So when you combine that with low English literacy, um, and we've had a we've had some experiments using um, read a, the the reading software, the software that gives you a score about you know where, and really for health that's really difficult because you know you've got constipation. So it's going to say, oh no, we can't have constipation. So you know we're not going to use. We're not going to use hard poo or something, you know. You have to use the word, but you then say, "Well, constipation is when your poo gets stuck," and you know. Um, so we've been going around that way, and also, you know, using technical terms. No, and I think that I think that for everything that we have to use the words for what they are. I'm not going to call an apple something else because the person doesn't know what it is. I'm not going to start calling it something that looks a bit like an orange. You know, it's just you get to the point where you think, well, it's getting ridiculous now. We just have to call the, we have to call it what it is, and the person has to learn those words. Um, and I think there's, that's why not learn? I think learning is something that we don't expect people to carry on doing in life. Yeah, and I think that was really good when you said, you know, a, a bigger variety of words that you actually just yeah, teach you maybe new words. Maybe that's okay. Mm. Um, is there an example that you can think of that has? Um, can demonstrate how you teach those words like you know yes and I think I have been criticized for this because it's very resource heavy and people want things that don't cost money and the only way I see of really teaching these concepts because they're concepts aren't they well maybe you know anus isn't a concept I grant you but something like citizenship or advocacy um, yeah, it's a kind of a concept, isn't it? And the best way of, I've seen of doing that is through series of workshops where people build meaning. Again, this is based on work done by Nicola Grove, who was the story sharing person. Um, building conceptual meaning through consensus in groups. So a group will sit together and they'll build understanding about different concepts by defining it themselves, what does it mean for them? And it's based on the idea of what's relevant to them. So a group could sit around and, sit around, that sounds like it's a bit passive. A group could sit together and work through what citizenship really means. And they would all go around the group, had they heard the word before, what do they think it is? And you write that up on the flip chart. And, and what do you think it is? And you write, oh, that. And gradually, bit by bit, you can develop some kind of a conceptual, consensual framework for the term citizenship. And through that kind of consens consensus, you can end up with a definition that people around the table are able to understand at their level, explain, use, and give examples about. And that means for me that they have some level of understanding of that concept. And I don't think everybody 
can have the same understanding of all the concepts either. It's like I will never understand astrophysics or the theory of string theory or whatever that is, but I know kind of who wrote it and sort of what it's about, and that's fine for me, thank you. My cognitive ability doesn't go beyond that, and that's okay. So I think even somebody with more severe disabilities can still have an understanding and a concept of something, but it's going to be at their level. So their concept of voting might be the feel of what the, the box is like and being taken in and out when voting happens, but they might not be voting, you know, but there's, there's still a concept there of something, isn't there, an understanding at their level, and I think it's at their level that's the important thing. And so that was my answer, but you see those kinds of workshops are really resource heavy. And somebody said to me, unless you can, sh you can find a way of m your research saving the NHS money, you're not going to get any more funding. And you know, they might well be right, but I can't really back down too much because I, you know, we need to find another way that works that's not as expensive as the one I would like to, to you know, start using. So anybody's got any great, great ideas? So less resource heavy, um, more efficient and... Yeah, but still tapping into that building understanding through people building their own understanding of things based on their own knowledge, the knowledge you can give them, and also their own knowledge. Um, and that's because that's how we create our own understanding of things building on our own knowledge. It really gives power back, doesn't it? I mean, I think that, you know, having worked in disabilities, in closed disability services for a long time, not a lot's changed. And we, we tend to find, I think, that as people get older, we teach them less, almost. There's some sort of understanding that they can't learn. And I really like that concept of, you know, maybe there is a different way, rather than us producing more, you know, that you think this is wrong, but you know, but maybe thinking, putting the focus on the other, right? For you to understand these things, you need to understand some of these basic concepts. If you can't get a grasp of these basic concepts, it really doesn't matter what we do to the easy English documents. No. They're never going to be understood. Mm. Mm. Yes, and I think that's a hard thing for people to accept, but I think it's true. And I think we, it doesn't mean it's going to have to stop or go away because we still need to give people the opportunity and they have to, to, un, to understand it and learn it and they have the right to have that opportunity. So it's really important to carry on presenting them with the opportunity. Um, but I don't know what the, so it's like the, the finance people would say. Leverage around, yes, let's produce these. Yeah. But let's also say that for these to be useful, we need to be working with the people that they're written for yeah. in order that they can understand and use them functionally. Yeah. I think that's exactly the same for any brochures. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of research. If you just hand somebody a brochure, hardly any of them read it. If you hand it and talk to them about it, they're more likely to do something about it. So why would Easy Read be any different? <laughs> I'm, I, and I feel the same way myself, given something. You know, you think, hmm. You know, there's a note in the bus stop saying, do you want to eat blueberries for a, a year and, you know, see if that makes you healthy? And I'm thinking, but if somebody was to come to my office and try to persuade me to eat blueberries for a year, they might, you know, they might be in with a chance. I'm not going to go, though. It's just written on the bus stop. So, yes, that human connection, relationships that um, are really important and that building 
if you can communicate with somebody and you can build that understanding, that conceptual understanding about something, uh, you need a kind of relationship to start off with. And all of those things take time. I have seen so many organisations in Melbourne, or in Australia, that um, you were talking about the quality control. I think there's a bit of a myth that there actually is a standard of easy read because of the very small number of organisations that get most of the, lack of a, word, a better word, business in developing easy read documentation. And even when I was speaking to a fairly prominent commission yesterday and they were saying, oh, do you do this as well? And I said, that's... We don't do that, we do something else. Um, and the question was, oh, so you mean there's other ways of doing this? And I thought, wow, that's interesting, that there was a sense that there was a standard. And um, I, I was just in Sweden recently and saw the study circles for voting where there was exactly what we were talking about, the development of shared meaning and the materials they use. And then I was in um, went to United Response and saw the Easy News. And I thought, well, this does look like kind of like the older version of Easy. But then I saw how they made it. And I saw that there was journalists with intellectual disability being mentored by a BBC guy. And they were actually producing that meaning for themselves. And I thought, well, that's actually really cool. And it worked really, really well within United Response, within that organisation. It worked really, really well because it was backed up by, it wasn't just delivering a resource. It was usually backed up with some architecture around how it was delivered. But then I noticed the feedback they had was that the Easy News didn't have so much a good uptake outside United Response because it didn't have those extra supports, right? And so it really backs up what you're saying. That, But, but I think here one of the problems is I, I do think there is a perception in our service sector that there is actually this sort of magic place you send things to to get them turned into easy read. And, and what I say to a lot of these organisations is, well, be creative, make videos. Um, have study circles, create the shared meaning environment. I think the message is um, be creative, there isn't actually a standard. Currently the standard is you send off a three-page docu document and it comes back with cartoon pictures and 40 pages and people get through three pages and have no time to keep going. And I think, um, I think that might be a myth that needs to be addressed here actually, that there is actually... Yeah. I think it's good to have that... Um yeah, I love that. Sweden are great, aren't they? I want to go there. I think I would find out so much more about whether, well, yeah, to have those shared circles for understanding. I love that idea. If we could start doing those kinds of... I'm so pleased that they're doing that, actually, because it means there's hope, isn't it, for the rest of the world. Um, but I think doing away with easy read documents and having everything audio and visual isn't going to work either, is it? So it's, it's kind of... Um, I do see what you mean. It feels very tick boxish in the UK at the moment that people will say, oh, we need an easy read document, send it off. And recently I was speaking to somebody in the Scottish who, who is the kind of interface between learning disability organisations and the Scottish government in Scotland. And I'm Scottish, by the way, so this is my interest in the Scottish government, what they're doing. And I spoke at a conference, health literacy conference, and there was a woman, she said, that's amazing. We want, we need some more evidence to show that um, Easy Read doesn't work by itself. I'm going to send your research to the Scottish government. Uh, but you know, that was her box ticked in a way. That, that's fine. She's sent it. She's told them it doesn't work, but she's also still being required to produce it. And she does, because that's what people want. That's the, the box is ticked. And it's easier for her to do it than to it's easier for her to do it than for everybody else to sit around and do it for themselves. I would happily get somebody else to do it. It's so much work. I don't really enjoy it, to be perfectly honest. And I enjoy it less now. Think because I think I get so tangled up in 
oh dear, you know, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that, and is it repeating? <coughs> I'm repeating myself too much. And so I think there's kind of, um, you know, I'm, and, and my supervisor gets worried if she sees she's got to write something in Reasonably Reasonable, and she doesn't want me to see it in case I say something about it. <coughs> and it, I mean, it's just not like that because there are so many ways to do something. And I think, and something sometimes does have to be 13 pages if it started off as three, because that the only way to make it understandable is to elaborate the concepts. But actually, I would be happier elaborating those concepts in a shared <coughs> understanding, circle of understanding, and then giving them a leaflet that was slightly shorter. But I think easy news is one of the things that um, it, it does get sent around. Anybody, anybody who's done a co-production exercise will know that the people who produced it and who read it will know about it and will like it in the same way that I will if I've done a workshop on pottery. I know about pottery, but it doesn't mean that my neighbour does. So, you know, I've done the workshop. So I think that's, that's the other thing that worries me a little bit because co-production is now com obligatory for any easy read documents in the UK. They don't get out there now, or they shouldn't, according to the standard, unless they've been through a process of co-production. So we'll see how that ends up. Thanks for joining us. You might like to stay interested by visiting our webpage and finding out our new events. You just need to hit the events tab on the webpage www.acid.asn.au.